Jesus has done for us. And if you're here today, you don't know Jesus, we want you to come meet this Jesus. Can you sing those songs with passion and promise and hope? And so we're so glad that you're here today. Well, today we finish our, the last chapter in the book of Micah. So we're in Micah chapter 7, this minor prophet. I don't know about you, I've learned a lot. Um, you say, well, you should because you're preaching it. Yes, I guess you're right. But I've learned a lot in this particular book of Micah, the, the, the minor prophet. We learned so much that the nation of Israel is going to receive oppression because of their sin. And we understand that to be through the Assyrian, Babylonian captivities. So I'd like just to recap, kind of go through the book of Micah for the next few moments. And just, so as you, if, when you open to the book of Micah in the future, hopefully you'll have some highlights and some notes. Micah is not a book that you frequent as you're sharing the gospel. Let's turn to Micah. It's probably a book that's kind of hard to get to apart as far as the pages go. But the two sins that, that the nation of Israel was participating in was the sin of idolatry and the sin of injustice. God had enough. They have put other gods on their higher places. And as we talked last week, when the nation of Israel wanted to offer uh, their, their firstborn child to appease the sins, they most likely were involved in the worship of God of Moloch, which was a human sacrifice God. And so Israel has really dropped. They have really fallen away from God. And then the sin of injustice, this idea they were treating each other with disrespect, taking things, stealing things, taking inheritances from young people. The nation of Israel were, were, were treating their own people in disdain. It was horrible what they were doing. We know, as we said, God will judge the nation using the Babylonian and Assyrian captivity. Oppression is coming. It is future. Mike is looking ahead to this oppression. This is what God is telling them. So when you think of a, the book of, of judgment and doom that is coming, God always gives hope. And Micah 4 and 5 gives us that hope, that hope of a Messiah. Hope of a Messiah that would come. And a hope of a kingdom that we, still on this side of eternity, look forward to. And that is the millennial kingdom where Jesus will come and rule and reign with peace. Are you excited about that day? No more war, all peace. And Jesus is our president. Amen? Amen. What a promise for us as we look ahead of that day. We get to Micah chapter 6, and, and, and we see here that the nation of Israel was asking God, okay, God, yeah, we sinned, so what, what do you need? What kind of sacrifices do you, should we give here? Some rams, some oil. Hey, we'll give our firstborn. And God, we, remember, we, we turned to Isaiah chapter 1, and, and, and again, Micah and Isaiah were contemporaries as they were prophesying to the nation, and God says, I don't want any of those sacrifices. They mean nothing to me. Why? Because they had blood on their hands. Their hearts were not in the worship of God. And what did he tell them to do? Three particular points we learned last week. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with their God. He says, this, this is all that I need for you to do. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I don't need your sacrifice. I need you to live out following me. That's what I need for you to do. And so we, we closed last week with three points of interest of, of things that we can apply to our lives, 2,700 years removed from this story. The first point of interest was don't be distracted. The nation of Israel was distracted in worshiping other gods. They were just sidetracked, and they forgot of all the good things God did for them. Don't be distracted in our lives. There's many things that, that take our time and energy and our money 
They're the things that we put on the high places of our life. It becomes idolatry to us. Don't be distracted. And we've seen there, the second point of interest is be devoted to God. The nation of Israel and their their sacrifices, they were not devoted to God. They were devoted to the system, the sacrificial system, but their heart was not in it. How about us? Be devoted to God. When you leave here today, are you going to live a life that is devoted to God? And as we think about those those three applications that God gave the nation of Israel, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with their God, we kind of encapsulated this idea. So it would be our third point of interest is live and do diligently the word of God. Listen diligently. Prepare diligently as you read his word and do what God tells us to do. When we're not distracted by other gods, when we are devoted with all our heart, with our allegiance and our obedience to God, guess what? We will follow God diligently. And that's what the nation of Israel needed to learn, and God was going to make sure that they did that through this oppression. So I want us to think of a phrase this morning that we're going to uh, repeat a lot. Um, Being in a position of rock bottom. How many of us have been in a position of being at rock bottom? Probably a lot of us have been there. So there's a story, a, a military a history a story, of, and I've mentioned this particular event several times as I gave his illustrations, but June 28, 2005, four Navy SEALs were pinned in the hills of Afghanistan. The guy there marked off in the red marker is Marcus Luttrell. He was the lone survivor. You ever read this story, you read his testimony. Four of these SEALs were trapped. They were, they were, they were being attacked by 150 Taliban fighters. And the words of Marcus Luttrell when asked, so how do you think this is going to play out in the middle of the war? He said this, I think we're fixing to get in a pretty good gunfight. That's, 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 that comes from a Navy SEAL, of course, right? They're ready to fight. But as the war went on, as this battle went on, all three of his buddies were killed. He was a lone survivor. They had jumped off rock cliffs 50, 60 feet. He had broken his back. He had broken his leg. He was shot 10 times. He broke his nose. He almost bit his tongue off. He knew he was dead. He has hit rock bottom. The sun was going down. He hid in a rock crevice just so the enemy wouldn't find him. Thinking that he's no, there's no way he's going to survive the night, he just closed his eyes and wasn't expecting to wake up in the morning. Well, lo and behold, he opens his eyes and there's the sunrise. Marcus Luttrell crawled seven miles, seven miles, using the gun as his cane or his, his tool to get him around. Licked the sweat off his arms just to get, quench his thirst. Marcus Luttrell is a rock bottom, rock bottom. For us in our lives, there are times where we are at rock bottom, maybe spiritually, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe mentally. We've reached those times, and maybe you're saying, okay, yeah, Jay, Pastor Jay, which, which times? I've been there a couple times. Well, for, the, for Micah and the nation of Israel, they are at rock bottom at this point. They know what is coming, and they need some hope. So let's begin reading in Micah chapter 7, verse 1, as we conclude our sermon series in Micah. And here's what Micah's saying. Look at the first words. He says, Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no ripe fruit fig for my my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Man, it sounds like a place I want to be. 
This is where the nation of Israel is right now. It's believed that Micah was a farmer, if scholars believe, because he's using verbiage of agriculture. What's he saying? Listen, I'm going to pick something. There's nothing there. Referring to the spiritual uh, degrading of the nation of Israel. Verse 3, their hands are what is evil. To do it well, the prince and the judge ask for the bribe, and the man utters the evil desires of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them is a thorned edge. (laughs) The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Micah is hunting for some integrity from spiritual leadership in the nation of Israel that's going to stand up and say, listen, we've got to turn from our sin. But he is finding nothing. Even the leaders in their self-righteousness are going to continue to waddle in their sin despite what Micah said was coming from God. Look at verse 5. Put no trust in a neighbor. I don't know if I've ever been told that before. Have no confidence in a friend. Well, then he's probably not a friend, right? Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemy are men of his own house. Is this a household that you want to be part of? This is what was happening in the nation. This really spells out. We talked about injustice. Looking in a household, brother against brother, mother against daughter-in-law, all these things were happening. But if you look at Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this verse verbatim. Look at Matthew chapter 10, 35 through 36. He says this, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. What was Jesus saying here? Jesus came to bring peace to the world, didn't he? But what had happened? The nation of Israel rejected Jesus. And anyone who sided with Jesus, who became a follower of Jesus, what happened in their life? There was contention, wasn't there? Think of many of you who put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Did you lose friends? Did you lose family members? Yeah, because this is what happens when you follow Jesus. And Jesus knew that when he said, listen, (laughs) there's going to be division here when people follow me. And this is what we see in Micah's time. They were not following God. They were choosing to follow their own gods, and there was contention. There was fighting. There was arguing. There was confusion. Jesus referenced that culture in the first century as being against each other, a time of war spiritually. And Micah mentioned it in Micah chapter 7. This is exactly what's happened nation of Israel is not learning their lesson to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with their God. You sometimes when we, and we see here in the nation of Israel, has reached rock bottom because of their own doing. They fail to follow the law of God, right? In our lives, there's times where we hit rock bottom, and sometimes it's because of our own doing. Physically, yes, things happen. God allows those things to happen. But many times when we hit rock bottom, it's because of decisions that we have made. Think of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You know the story? He takes his father's inheritance. He takes off. says, man, I'm out. Party is party time. He blows it. Where does he end up? Eating with the pigs. He has hit rock bottom. But then he realizes what he needs to do, and he comes back to his father So this morning, I want us to look at three reasons that we can have hope in those times of being at rock bottom. Three reasons we can hope when we are at that moment of rock bottom. Our first reason this morning is this. God is for us. 
I want amen. God is for us. Church, listen, God will defend his people. Let's look to see what Micah says. Despite being at rock bottom, look at verse 7. Where is his hope? Micah, he, 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 he's prophesied to the nation. This is what's going to happen. We've been through Micah 1 through Micah 6. We know what's coming. Where's Micah's hope? Look at verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Can we say that when we're at rock bottom? Remember last week, Micah 6, and we referenced Isaiah chapter 1? What did God call the nation of Israel? You people of Sodom, you folks of Gomorrah. Now just again, note to self, when you're referenced as the town of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's not a good thing, all right? So when God is calling you as a nation, you're like Sodom and Gomorrah, that is not a good compliment to have. It'd be like if, if a, a young lady, a parent, which I would have no idea why a parent would name their daughter Jezebel, that's not a good name to have. Why? Because of the history. But I but don't you remember in Micah 6? After he referenced them as the nation of Sodom and Gomorrah, what's he say? Oh, my people. He still loves his people. He still cares for the nation of Israel. He loves them. He knows, he knows that he's going to have to bring discipline upon them, but he, he calls them his people. He still loves them. He has not forgotten about Israel. And brothers and sisters, God has never forgotten about us. God is for us. I love what he says there. I will look, I will wait, my God will hear me. I will look, I will wait, my God will hear me. Man, to have that hope, to have that confidence of Micah when we go through times of being at rock bottom. Let's continue on verse 8. How about us? Can we have this particular thought? Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. Now, as we continue through Micah 7, we, re we read the text, and the enemies will rejoice over the oppression of Israel. And so Micah's saying here, listen, don't rejoice over me, you, you, you nations. Okay, don't rejoice over me, okay? When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Notice that the conjunction, when I fall, when I sit in darkness. Not if, not maybe, when because it's coming when I fall, when I sit in darkness. Micah had the confidence that God would deliver them. You see, when darkness comes in our life, and again, it may be physical, it may be spiritual, it may be mental, it may be emotionally, we're afraid of being in that dark moment of our life. Know this, that God is for us. He is not against us. You kind of look at Israel, you would think, man, I would ditch Israel in a second, all the things they've done against God. But God calls them his people. He still loves them. He still cares for them. He will see them through. Remember in Micah chapter 4, he promised them a kingdom, a kingdom that would be coming, a kingdom of hope with their Messiah. There's times we just don't know what to do when we're at rock bottom, and all we can do is look up. My wife and I went to college with a couple. He's a, a pastor in Wisconsin, Chad and Sarah Priggy. And uh, she died two years ago of, of, of pancreatic cancer. She was 47 years old. And 
It was very interesting. I watched the memorial service online, and, and, and the, the hospice nurse got up and gave testimony. She was a believer, and she gave testimony of Sarah was the, Chad and Sarah were like the, the Ken and Barbie of the campus. You know, they were athletic, they did the music, they were good looking, you know, they were just like, they were just the perfect, well, we were the perfect, no, no, no. Um, they were the, the perfect couple, you know? And so I was listening to the service, and the hospice nurse got up and said there was a moment when they, she was told you were given one week to live. And Sarah was just a very classy lady. And she sat on the edge of her bed and asked the nurse, how do I do this? How do I die with class? How, how do I do this to, to, for, with my kids? How do I do this? And, and the nurse said to her, Sarah, this is not news to you, but your God will be there for you. He will walk you through this time, and he will see you to the end. And Sarah said, okay, you're right. And she finished her life in class, knowing that her Savior was going to take her, and she was going to be with him. You see, that's a, that's a, a physical moment of being at rock bottom. But guess what? God was with her. Guess what? God is with you where you're at. God is for us. He is not against us. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, What then shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When we look at this verse, God gave us his treasured, his most valuable possession, his son, to die for you and for me. You think God's going to forget about us? No. He is for us to bring our salvation to completion. Even when we sin, even when we fall, God is there to pick us up and to put us back on track. Now, I know for some of our charismatic friends that read that verse, they're like, yeah, see, this is the name it and claim it. Yeah, I can get this and that, you know, and then I'm going to wrestle the devil. You know, I'm just going to stand up, right? Just hang on a minute. I had a professor at LBC that used to tell us this in our biblical hermeneutics class. And he used to say one word. He said, listen, context, context, context. Context is everything when you're interpreting Scripture. In this verse here, what is God talking about? This is not a name it and claim it text. There's no such thing. What is God saying here? I'm going to give you everything you need in salvation. This is spiritual Look what he says in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. No, we're not going to be able to wrestle the devil, just FYI. We're conquerors through Jesus Christ. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. I want you to underline that phrase in this text. Nor anything else in all creation. Think about that statement a minute. God created the galaxies, this whole world, everything he spoke into existence. Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God. That's heavy. Nothing. We can't, we can't compute that in our, in, our, in our minds. This is what Satan wants us to know. He wants us to think that God has forgotten about us. And we're in despair, we're at rock bottom. Yep, even if it's not by our own doing. See, you blew it, you sinned. God's forgotten, God doesn't love you anymore. What as a lie from the pit of hell? Nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love. 
Think of what David said in Psalms 51, 17. He said this, he said, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Even at the point of sin as David was, even at the point at the lowest part spiritually where you in your life are like you have no place to go but up, guess what? God loves and he will not despise a broken and a contrite heart. If you're in that situation this morning, come to him. He loves you. He will not despise you. And every time we talk about Satan, we look at Revelation chapter 12, and this is future times. We believe this event here in Revelation 12 will happen, the tribulation. But it puts Satan right now possibly standing. Satan, per 1 Peter chapter 5, he can go to and fro. We read that through Scripture. Job, he was standing there with the angels, and God was like, hey, what are you doing here? It gives us a picture that he can go to and fro throughout the earth. He's not, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. But this here in Revelation chapter 12, Gives us a picture. Um, let me read just the, the middle portion of this text. For the accuser, accuser, meaning Satan, of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. There's a picture that Satan at this very moment could be in front of the presence of God, blaming. Look, look, at, look, look at all these Christian people. Yeah, look at Donna. Look at Felicia. Look at what they're doing. Look at Matt. Look at Bob. Look, they call you Christians? You call them Christians? They don't love you. Accusing us. This is what Satan is doing. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Jesus took the wrath of the Father on the cross. He took care of the anger of God for our sin. Like Micah's situation, they know judgment is coming. Church, we can have this promise that God is for us. No amens? God is for us. He is there for you in those rock bottom moments. Our second reason to hope this morning is this. God's discipline produces peace. God's discipline produces peace. We shared in our study a couple weeks ago about the idea of pruning. Hebrews chapter 12 gives verses in the context is that God, God loves who he disciplines. That pruning process where you take those branches off. Why? It hurts. I mean, I'm not a tree. I don't know. But I assume it hurts the tree. More fruit can come, 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 come to bear in the future. And that's what God does to us in our discipline. I love what Solomon says in Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves. That word in the Hebrew means to correct or to chastise. The Lord reproves. It corrects him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights that word delight there he's pleased with now i love how how the, the text uses the word reproof which is like a, a negative correction and then uses the word delight not that the father delights in discipline yeah this was gonna be fun now my dad's here today hey dad welcome my dad to faith Well, you know I'm going to share some discipline stories now. Um, so, I mean, I thought growing up there were times where my dad was like, yeah, I can't wait to give it to Jason. He deserves this. So who, who, would, who would discipline those two cute boys there on the screen? Who would discipline those guys? And Dad, as I was looking at this picture, am I wearing a Miami Dolphins jersey? Like, for real? A Miami Dolphins jersey? That is crazy. That's heresy, Dad. That's absolute heresy to wear a Miami Dolphins jersey. <laughs> Listen, the discipline brings peace. Maybe some of us have, 
have had um, moments in a store where that child is running around four-hour temper tantrum. The moments where I say to Judy, listen, I'll take care of that problem right now. Give me two minutes. Hey, Mom, Dad, I'll, I'll take care of that kid for you. He won't scream or cry anymore, right? See, when you are disciplined, there's, there's a sense of peace. Yes, you don't like going through the discipline. You don't. But you understand that no, after your sin has been found, it's like, okay, I don't need to hide this from my parents. You know what? There's, there's a sense of peace, isn't there, when we're disciplined? For us growing up, my dad was very, very just cool and calm about it. Either myself or my brother, he would just grab us very inconspicuously, and he would take us to an undisclosed location <laughs> to where five minutes later, we were back at the event, a changed person, <laughs> saying things to the people that we offended. I'm so sorry, ma'am. I'm so sorry, sir. My father has just informed me that I will be mowing your grass for the rest of my life. Discipline. There was consequences, but it was for our good. And for us, you know, timeouts were not an option for us. No, I guess that's false. There was a timeout. The timeout was when my dad sent me to my room or his room. That timeout, that one, two minutes where I was wondering what was going to happen to my life. There are three things that I did. One, I'd go in my room, I'd look for an escape route. We lived on second, third floor, second and third story apartments. That was not going to end well for me to escape. Secondly, I really prayed vigorously that the rapture would occur. <laughs> I really prayed that. And thirdly, I put every amount of clothing on I could to help the pain of not getting, feeling the pain of the spanking. You see, I knew that there was going to be consequence for my action. Look what Micah says here in verse 9. And he, was, he had the same thought. I will bear the indignation, or what that, that word there means, I will bear the anger of you, God. I will take it. I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. That word is, means, means righteousness. This, has, this is Calvary language here. Because when did, when did God plead our cause? At Calvary. This is future for the nation of Israel. Micah calls attention to God's hatred of sin, of the, of the leaders that are there. But he promises hope. He promises mercy and joy. God's judgment wants them to confess of their sin and their unrighteousness. But we see here of God's grace and his mercy and peace forever. Listen, when we reach rock bottom, church, understand that God is for us. Understand that God's discipline produces peace in our life. And when God prunes us, it's for our good. It is for our good. So the Father can delight when we learn our lesson and we live for him, even though we had to get disciplined maybe many times. For me, it was just one time in my life I was disciplined. That was it. But we get disciplined many times as Christians. It's for God to be delighted in how we learn from that discipline. The third and final reason to hope when we reach rock bottom is this, and this is the most important one. God has justified us through Christ. God has justified us through Christ. Look at verses 18 through 20. And you'll see the verse. I, you probably can't see the numbers. I listed eight things, eight, eight points of, of, of promise or, or hope here. 
Who is a God like you? Now, if you circle that, that is what Micah's name means. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquity underfoot. You will cast all our sin into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Do you see the promises that God gave the nation of Israel here in Micah chapter 7 after pronouncing judgment? God is a God of hope. God is a God of mercy. And he's showing the nation here there's going to be a day this is what's going to happen to sin. Micah looks forward to this. We as the church, we look back and say, it is done. It is finished. Let's just look at these, these, eight, these eight phrases. Pardons iniquities. Forgets iniquities. Passes over transgression. That word passes gives that indication of when they were in Egypt, when the, the, the death angel passed over the houses with the, with the blood of the, of the bull or the goat passes over transgression. He will remember our sin no more. His anger is not forever. I love the fact when, when my father would discipline me, I knew that the next day, boom, he forgot about it. I would have to peek around the steps to make sure the incredible hawk was not there anymore. But, you know, he was fine. I knew that he forgot about it. That's a father's love. Delights in steadfast love, loyal love. That's our father will have compassion on us. I love these. Tread iniquity underfoot. And when Jesus died on the cross, that's exactly what he did. Cast them into the sea. Psalms 103 tells us he remembers our sin as far as the east is from the west. And he will show faithfulness to us. Despite the judgment of God for this nation who had rejected him, God still showed love, mercy, and compassion to this nation. A hope for his people. This is our hope, church. This is our reason to rejoice and not live in condemnation. When we're at rock bottom, to understand what Jesus has done for us. And he is there to pull us out. So we come to those times in our life when life seems overwhelming. Remember what Christ has done for you. And I was, as I was studying, I was thinking some other things. I, I think uh, three other points here particularly, just, just, just extra for you today. We are the righteousness of God through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. We're new creatures in Christ when we come to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what creature, creation. The old is gone, the new has come. How many of you are a new creature in Christ? You remember who you were before you were saved, and when you, God saved you, you are definitely a new creature in Christ. You think differently, you act differently, you live differently. And I love the fact about justification, it has nothing to do with me. Justification is the work of Christ. I love what Paul told Titus in Titus 3, 7. He said this, not that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You don't become heirs if someone forgets about you. When you have this mindset that God's forgotten about you, he doesn't love you anymore, for us that are justified by Christ, he says we become heirs. 
heirs in Christ. What a great promise. We can never lose it. John 10 says, no one can pluck us. No one can take us from our Father's hand. We will never lose our salvation. God secured our salvation through Jesus. We are justified through Jesus. We'll never lose it. Amen? Never lose it. Wow. So when you fall, and you will, when you sit in darkness, and we will, remember the Lord is our light as Micah did. God is for us. God's discipline produces peace for us. And God has justified us through Christ. So when you're sitting, you have no place to go. You feel everyone's abandoned you and forgotten you. Remember, your Lord has not. And he is there for you. Well, you remember our story with Marcus Luttrell. We've had him crawling through the hills of Afghanistan with no hope. So he crawled into a waterfall that he came across and he just started drinking and just, just, just feeling great that at least there was some kind of relief for him. And he picked up his head and he was surrounded by a group of Afghan villagers. Of course, we know in that culture, if you're Taliban or if you're an Afghan villager, you look the same. He thought, I'm dead, I'm done. They're going to kill me. Muhammad Galab is the man here who became his hope. Reached down to Marcus in his broken English and says, I'm for you. I'll protect you. We got you. They took him back to the village. And they hid him from Taliban for a couple days. They had a man walk 20 miles to a military base in the hills of Afghanistan. And guess what? The cavalry came. Hope came. Here come the army rangers. Here they come to save Marcus from where he was at. He had hope. By a guy by the name of Muhammad Ghalib who protected him and watched over him. Brothers and sisters, listen. No matter what, God keeps his promises. God will keep you in his arms no matter what you've done or where you've been or what you've said. Follow the light of Christ. As Micah says, I will, be, I will follow the light of, of, of God no matter what happens. So this time, I'd like to, to close our service just maybe a little different this morning. I'd like our, our worship band to come up and And we're going to sing the song that we sang this morning, Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood Applied. And here's why we're singing it again. It's because the the, the content of that song is what was fulfilled, what Micah was looking forward for being fulfilled in Micah 7, 18 through 20. The cancellation of our sin, the cancellation of our debt, this song that we're going to sing again, we'll stand and we'll sing, I want you to think of where you were before you met Christ. I want you to think about where you were. And when, when, when Christ saved you, he put your sin underfoot. He cast your sin into the deepest sea. He remembered your sin no more. So when we, we sing these songs, they're not, not fun songs to sing. I like the song, I like the band, but it's not why we do it. We sing songs of doctrinal truth that we can take with us and sing at home and and recite at home because we're just reciting and glorying what Jesus did for us on the cross. the, The first verse gets me every time. I was far in a chasm. I God was way, way over there. Had no desire. Romans chapter three. But Jesus pursued us. Aren't you glad for Jesus?
Because without Christ, where would we be? We'd be lost, like the nation of Israel, on its way to punishment. And we're so, we're so grateful that when you think of the cross, as I said before, the anger of God, the wrath of God, was satisfied through the death of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today, you've become in the church, you've been visiting, you like the service, you like the people that are here, and you've been thinking about your relationship. You've been thinking about where you'd be if you don't trust Christ. Well, today could be the day of your salvation. We would love to introduce you to this Jesus who has changed our lives to where now we can live victoriously in him and knowing someday we will see him face to face. And when we see him, we will hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's stand together as we just sing this song and then we'll come back and we have a little informational meeting and then we'll let you guys out. But let's just get the content of this song in our hearts and our minds this morning. stronger there is nothing stronger 
Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this great salvation. And Lord, allow us this week to be able to share this, to share our story, our testimony to someone who needs you. Maybe someone we've been making connections with in the community, maybe someone we work with, students here, or someone at school that just is at rock bottom. And we know the answer to the rock bottomness, and that is Jesus. Give us an opportunity this week to share this glorious message of the gospel with someone. We ask this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.